conscious. Listen to it loudly. That's mm-hmm. what I do. Mm-hmm. <laughs> when in doubt, listen to it loud. Yeah, exactly. I don't care about going deaf. If I go deaf. I'm already deaf. Are you? Damn near. Like Feels partially like in one ear or both? Oh, no. It's just I have, sh- I have like old man hearing. Like your dad and my dad and me probably have the same hearing. Not too much loud music? No, I think it dated from when I was a little kid. I had uh, chronic ear infections, which I think fucked me up long term. Plus, they put tubes in my ears, and that, the long-term effects, they don't put tubes in ears anymore, I don't think. Well, you see my eyes getting bigger because <laughs> I had tubes in my ears as a kid, too. Like, I, I don't know how many ear infections I had, but I yeah. know I had a lot, enough to get tubes in my ears. Yeah. Oh, no. <laughs> I don't... I, I naturally listen to my music probably way too loud anyway, but I, I was just going to say, it's all, like it's mostly in the car. AirPods are probably fine. Like, I generally have that at, like, 60% volume, but in my car, that shit's cranked out. Worst case, you get whatever they're called, the hearing aids. And best case scenario, I lived an enjoyable life where I was rocking out to my music. No regrets. If it's too loud, you're too old. It is currently Tuesday, April 20th. Happy April 20th to you, Tyler. I feel like today's significant for some reason, but I don't know. I don't know why. Yeah, I forget. My yeah. memory's not that good. <laughs> Neither is mine. Yeah, so we got some uh, got some games to go over. Some of them were stinkers. Some of them were not. Yeah, I didn't watch either of the stinker games. Yeah, well, I mean, cold open here, so... I gotta talk about ownership a little bit, so yeah, we'll be touching base on that. Um, some of the stuff I've heard, just other information. But yeah, should we kick it to the intro? Uh, yes. Once you kick us off, we got the uh, April 9th game. We were at Boston. So watching this game was really exciting because we just we just played such a composed game against Boston. Well, not not entirely composed, but more than we're used to. And so yeah. that makes it just really fun to watch. And Boston is not having as great of a year as I'm sure they wanted well, to. Well, they went on a little run now. I think they're fourth in the East and they were eighth. So mm-hmm. granted, the, they're getting better, but they're, they're still, like, in limbo of, like, what's their identity exactly? Oh, and, yeah. like, they're, they're still, like, I feel like they're missing that center component to them still, like... I feel like their transition to Jason Tatum being their best player... Clearly, has, he dropped 50-something on us. 53? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, it was 53. Congrats, Jason Tatum. That's awesome. Well, no, it's not, because it was against us, but good for you. <laughs> I mean, I'll watch anybody drop 53 on us. It's, it's, it's entertainment at the end of the day. Um, But I, I feel like the transition to him being their, like, superstar... He's not quite a superstar yet in my mind, but he's a star for sure. Mm-hmm. Their transition to him being their best player, though, it's been sloppy. It hasn't been handled well, and they haven't surrounded him with the best players possible. Lately. So so I just have a, a couple plus and minuses that I want to go over really quick. The plus that I have is it's nice to get to overtime, and it shows that you're competing the entire time. But it's also this is also kind of a minus, too, because we played well enough to get a 17-point lead, and then we ended up blowing that. And then we had to claw back another eight points on top of that just to get us into overtime. So those little fourth-quarter woes, it's just like you can't have that. If you're working that hard against a good team in Boston, to be up 17, put them away. So first, I'm going to say this. You call them a good team. I know we have listeners going to be like, they haven't proven anything. It's very true. But they're still the good team. They're a better record than us. They're in the playoffs. They're almost guaranteed a playoff spot at this point in time. However, they haven't really proven much. We don't no. know what they're going to do in the postseason. But being good in the postseason puts you on that really good team to great team. Which then adds to my point. If they're not even that great of a team as people are thinking, then we really need to put them away. 
if, if a team's not doing that great at the beginning of the year and they're just starting to kind of find their groove, you want to you want to be the team to get them out of that. Yeah. Like you always got to have a reason going in playing against a specific team that you want to beat them for. I believe at least. Like, yeah. The, the goal should always be to win, but when you can make it personal, like MJ did, <laughs> then it, it adds a little bit of flair and adds a little bit of passion to it. Um, yeah, the biggest minus for me was that blowing that 17-point lead and then having to trail eight points to come back. Another minus is that a loss in overtime puts us at 0-4 in overtime games this season. The one takeaway I had, though, was the bench scoring was pretty good. I think our bench was outscoring theirs at halftime, and that's probably another reason why it kind of dropped off. Yeah. But that's all I have for that game and my, and my takeaways from it. Okay, so what I took away was I, a lot of what you were saying. I went on more individual things because I actually watched the end of the third, all of the fourth, and all of overtime. So I watched a good amount of that game. Um, the parts that I was watching, we were talking about him in the previous pods. Okogi, his defense on Tatum. I know Tatum went for 53, and he actually made, I think, I, I think I watched Okogi have like four or five really good defensive possessions guarding Tatum. And I think Tatum scored on two of them. Good, good offense beats good defense. It just happens. But it was encouraging to see. And also, I mean, I'll touch base on this later too, but Okogi's kind of coming out offensively right now. He's feeling confident. Not to say he's like a go-to scorer on anyone's team. But he looked good. So it's nice to see a Kogi kind of living up to what we all know he can do, especially on the defensive end and that kind of stuff. A lot of the times him on the defensive end will add and create transition opportunities for us, which I feel like we don't get a ton of yeah. compared to other teams. Like a lot of other teams will um, play fast against us and get a lot of easy open buckets um, and have somebody like Okogi that can contribute. Um, his defense will give, give us a lot of transition opportunities sometimes because him and Ant are both good at poking the ball away and mm -hmm. getting those off-ball steals, um, which then lead to transition buckets, hopefully. And I was just saying that that's good to be able to bring to the team because there's a lot of times where it feels like teams are getting way, way more transition opportunities than we are. Oh, yeah. Even though the, the, we there might be a discrepancy in turnovers where a team might have a lot more, it seems like we don't capitalize on no, that see, enough. No, so. see, I think we just turn the ball over more. We make some bonehead plays, and it seems to always happen in the first half, which is extremely frustrating because we know how good our team can be in and competitive against good teams. Like, we were competitive against Philly, pretty damn good team. Competitive against Boston, pretty good team. Um, other teams less so, but that's beside the point. <laughs> um, okay, so my next my next point here was just it's kind of a negative. We don't really have a good ISO stopper. I think Kogi can be that guy, but his limited offense right now really limits how effective he can be because, like with the NBA, it doesn't matter what you're doing. Every team scoring 120, it's limiting them to 120 instead of 140. And if you're going to limit to 120, you have to put up 120. If you have a Kogi playing 38 minutes in the game, not that he ever does for us right now, but if you have, if you need an ISO stopper, that's who you're going to employ. Mm -hmm. They're going to play those kind of minutes. Our, our offense, we're going to be lucky to score 120 unless Cat goes for 40 and Ant goes for 30 and Dilo also goes for 30. Yeah, exactly. We're, it feels like right now we're just more of like an offensive firepower team. Our only way to win is just to... <laughs> make sure we score way more than the other team. I think Cat even came out and mentioned that we're going to have to do a lot more than just score a lot to be able yeah, to beat these teams. Yeah, I can't remember what game, but he definitely did. But um, it's true. I, d I don't even know who we have right now that could be considered our ISO stopper, like Okogi maybe, like McDaniels, but you can't. I don't know McDaniels if you can throw. Could you throw McDaniels on the like a guard even they had to been. shut them down? He, I mean, he, again, in the Indiana game, he was guarding Oladipo. Or not, yeah, Oladipo. Or no. Not Oladipo. What's his name? Silver, sorry. Levert. Levert, and then in this game he was Harris, he was guarding Tatum <laughs> for long stretches in this game. It's and with him, I mean, currently he has a little bit of higher upside than Okogie, but he doesn't always like he's not always utilized as as well as he could be. And part of it's just him missing shots. So I guess he is being utilized, but he's not making the best of it. Um, other stuff is just like weird kind of stuff. 
but I mean, he's still a rookie, so I don't know how confident he is, you know, and maybe he's feeling tired because he just, you know, he, he's already played more games he's this year. He's played a lot more minutes now, too. Yeah, well, and part of it, too, though, he's played in more games this year than any season previous in his life mm-hmm. because we've played, what have we had, about almost six or almost 55 games, something like that? That's, I mean, no, he hasn't played in every game, I know, but he's still played in, say, 50 games. The most he's probably ever played before this is about 50 games in a year, and that's like AAU where you play 20, high school where you play maybe 30, you know? He could be tired. And that's why you see rookies hit walls. It's a thing for a reason because you're not used to doing it at this high level against these great players. We've seen that in Ant, just hitting a few walls, just having a few off nights and really looking like he's lost out there. But no, no, he he keeps pushing through them. Like the next game, he always just seems to bounce back, even if it's like a slight dip. Well, speaking of Ant, my next point is, so Ant in the fourth quarter, I believe he came in, he scored our first seven points of the quarter and then subbed out for his normal rest period. When he came back in, checked back in, I believe he played the rest of the fourth and all of overtime. I, I, he took like three shots the rest of the game. He just stood and stood around into anything. It's and frustrating. Part of, well, part of it was because, and this is one of my other points, Dilo was cooking, but Dilo wasn't looking to pass at all. Unless it's just like, hey, this is the possession. We're going to dump it to Towns and he's going to do his thing. But he wasn't like running an offense to pass and make plays for other people. He was making plays for himself. No, and that's more of his play style. And I know we're going to touch on it later in the pod. But one thing that him and Ant need to be able to do is develop some sort of better chemistry when they're on the court. Well, it would be nice to see because typically teams don't have, you know, two or three good defenders. And one of them, if they do have two or three, is a big. Do pick and rolls with Ant and D'Lo. Why are we not doing more of that right now? They play minutes without Cat. So why not try to utilize that and get some weird stuff going on? Well, and that's part of D'Lo's like bread and butter to his game is coming off pick and rolls because he's just very crafty and kind of jittery. He loves to kind of break down defenses and people that way. So I think something like that would be really, really beneficial. Bring Ant in, do some pick and rolls, get Ant free. And, and if anything, it's just repetition for Ant to practice his off-ball movement too, mm-hmm. which he still needs to get better at. He's he's doing good things, um, but it's just something he needs to continue to improve on. Yeah, because you're never done improving or otherwise you're done being good. Because you see players like Steph Curry, who is constantly improving, specifically his off-ball movement, it, it changes year to year, and it's always good. Like, yeah, sure, everyone's like, oh, he just caught it to the basket. It's like, no. See, sometimes he does a little, like, like stutter step and stuff like that, and then he's gone because he's quick and he's good, and he, he gets defenders going where they want. What he's doing a lot this season, too, is he'll be the one coming up to set screens, and he um, drags or, like, pushes his own defender into the other person. Yeah. So it's like he's setting a screen using the, the <laughs> two people on the opposing team, and it's just it's really crafty. It's creative getting ant those repetitions maybe he can start doing something like that because he's yoked so he can definitely push some people around the yeah, floor but part of it though is the way that they defend curry because they're trying to deny a ball so you get between the ball handler and curry and he's like well now no one's between me and the rim so then that's when he just starts pushing his guy further mm-hmm. up mm-hmm. the other the other opponent defender doesn't see his his own teammate runs into him and curry's like i'm gone see ya but that's another and rant ant is only a rookie so of course, t- like people don't know exactly how to play him yet, or they're going to give him more space or let him get the box. They're like, let's see what you can do. Yeah, but they shouldn't. They shouldn't. It's just going to eventually take Ant a while to get his own play style developed and solidified. And then when people start trying to chess match that and counter that, that's when he can come out and maybe show some new stuff too. Yeah. Um. So, yeah, kind of this all goes together. So when Ant came out, it, it actually sparked D'Lo and Towns in the like middle to the end of the fourth and all of overtime, dude, they took all of our shots. And don't get me wrong, they are our two best offensive players right now, but your offense kind of stagnates when there's literally no variance. It's one thing for them to take all the shots but let everyone else touch the ball. It, they were the only ones touching the ball. 
And, no, I and, said and like that. you said, D'Lo did have the hot hand. He did get us. He was like, I think he had six of those eight points to crawl us back and yeah. get us to overtime, hitting that big two big threes at the end to the tie it up. Game tying one yeah. that sent us to overtime. Mm-hmm. He didn't call bank on that, by the way. No <laughs> way he called bank. You don't think so? No. Great shot. Love that shot. Um, I mean, but it yeah, was he was cooking though. Friday, so the bank was open technically. <laughs> I might have been after hours though, so he <laughs> no one answered if he called. But he didn't call. No, I'm standing by that. He didn't call bank. ATMs he, exist for a reason, Tyler. He called it. Yeah, you don't call an ATM. What? Yeah, your your stupid story is stupid, Greg. <laughs> the analogy works in my head, okay? Um, so one of my really frustrating parts, this was especially true in the fourth quarter in overtime. D'Lo literally, he kept helping off his man and like trying to double the ball and play like he was like, like it was like a half double, half trap type of thing. So he's trying to play back. But he got burned, like, I seriously, it was like four times in a row where he didn't get the tip pass and they didn't get a turnover. So then they kicked the ball to, you know, his guy, which was Marcus Smart. And I don't love the rotation defensively onto that because then it was it was Ant in the corner, it seemed like, three times in a row. He was rotating it on Smart to, oh, you know, don't let the shooter shoot. Well, Marcus Smart's not a shooter. Good, good player and everything. He's not that knockdown shooter. And then he'd leave the corner open, and then they'd kick it to the corner, and then it's like, oh, wide open corner three. That's an even better shot than Marcus Smart taking it open, you know, above the break three. Well, and for me, that kind of defensive mentality is just when you're playing on ball or off ball defense like that, you have to commit one or the other. I get like you for him, he has long arms, so like he's probably like just poking to maybe get a like a crafty steal um, out of the passing lane. But you have to be able to commit some of those times too, because otherwise teams are just going to see that you're only half showing, and then they're just going to do simple rotations on top of that. And another thing that it does too is that if your teammates are behind you trying to read that, they don't know what you're exactly going to do either, and so they don't know if they have to rotate and things have to start happening or what. And then by the time they are already thinking that, sometimes it's too late. Yeah, and this is all stuff that chemistry can help because certainly, I mean, if D'Lo realizes, hey, like whoever was you know guarding the ball, I, I think a couple times it might have been Rubio, and just like maybe maybe don't go so hard. Like yeah, Rubio might get like a blow might get blown by, but it's not a big deal when you have a big down low and you know that's going to force some weird passes and stuff like that, especially since Boston doesn't have any good bigs right now. Mm-mm. So let let them get let their other guys get to the rim and let Cat or whoever defend him there. That's kind of what I was thinking. Yeah, Delo just kind of needs to step up and commit there cuz if we're going to trap and pressure, then let's do it and let's force other people to no, make No, I'm moves. saying don't trap at all. Like let Rubio just take him. It, it, so so Marcus Smart takes him to the paint. Marcus Smart isn't a great interior finisher. He's not Kyrie Irving. Oh, or I Steph thought Curry. you meant we were trying to trap Tatum. No, no. I mean Tatum had the ball sometimes, but like it wasn't always. But no, I think it was a couple times. But I mean, so it's just like, let let McDaniel's do it. Like we want a moving two point shot rather than a shot at the rim or a wide open three pointer wherever it is on the floor. But yeah, so then uh, that's kind of it. I do want to go over it. So yeah, Tatum had fifty three. Cat actually had thirty. 30 points, 12 rebounds, 7 assists. Not a bad, you know, not a bad game. And then D'Lo had 26 points and 8 assists coming out the bench. So that's a pretty good game as well. But that kind of wraps up my takes, unless you have anything else. Nope. All right, well, I'm going to hop right into the next game. It was the uh, April 11th uh, against Chicago. So we were at home. Levine in the second quarter had, oh, it was a, it was a very hard dunk, like, like he's this is like rookie second year Levine looking good, kind of skied up there and just threw it immediately with just springs up and you're like, where did that come from? <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's like did did he tear his ACL? What the heck? Where is this? In but, in doing research for this pod with a question that you're going to bring up later, I was I just stumbled in to the rabbit hole of Zach Levine highlights and oh my, oh gosh, he's so, so fun. fun. He, well, he might be one of my favorite players to watch too. I just like really fun, exciting, springy people, and he's that. I mean, he, he's like 
like Jamal Crawford, but he can dunk. Because, like, he's got a crafty mid-range. He's got, like, he's working more games, more moves into his game. He has so, swag to his movement, too. It's just, oh, yeah. I don't know, it's smooth. It's buttery. He has some confidence. It's, yeah, yeah. Um, he's fun to watch. My second point here, dude, Rubio was confident from three this game. Did five for and six. Five for six. And, dude, all six shots, because I watched the whole game, all six shots were quick pulls. He didn't hesitate. Like, three of them in a row, I think it was his, I think maybe not his first one, then it was his, his third or second, third, and fourth. Dude, Cat was just like, hit him, boom, instant shot in. Boom, instant shot in. And just like that that level of no hesitation, I'm not used to seeing it from Rubio because he's not an overly confident shooter. But holy cow, was that fun to watch. And, of course, he's got a big smile on his face because it's Rubio. I mean, anytime you do something good, he's smiling, you know. Um, but that was awesome to watch. Um, Towns had a cross-up on Vooch in the third quarter where he crossed him up and got a pretty pretty awesome dunk, too. I think I remember watching that highlight. It was kind of similar to the Philadelphia one where, like, he cranked it back a little on the right hand. Yeah. Still. It wasn't quite the uh, Embiid on the poster, though, type no. of thing. But it was like, yeah, I mean, he, still he put it down with it. authority. Mm-hmm. Yeah, at one point in time, I can't remember the exact quote, but Wolves announcer said something about Barishnikov because it's the ballerina stuff. And then, you know, Ants can dance. Uh, it was off of a spin move in the paint that ended up with a nice little layup. It it was a really good play. I mean, really cool to watch. But just dude, the Wolves announcers, they come up with some just awesome stuff. This is the best bit that we've had in a while, and I hope they keep doing it every single game. Yeah. Now, this next one was a stat that the Wolves broadcast brought up. It has changed since then because we've won two games, but but for like during those, this Bulls game, the Wolves were two and seventeen when when Town scores more than twenty three points. You would think you'd want your best player to score more than that. Nope, it's the like sixteen to twenty three where we had a way better record. Interesting. Um, yeah, it wasn't good, but it was it was better than two and seventeen. Well, just like looking at Cat's stat line here, twenty seven points, eight for fifteen on field goals, three for seven on threes, eight for eight from the line. 12 rebounds, 8 assists. That's what I love to see because then we know the ball is just touching Cat's hands almost every single time, especially when you look at the point spread um, from everybody else. And, like, our bench actually played pretty well, too. Yeah, I got a couple notes on that. Um, I also, really, well, just really quick, <coughs> I want to add in a few pluses. D'Lo coming off the bench seems to work really well. And I know they, they keep their rotations, and so he'll come back and play with the starters and such. Um, especially in the fourth. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But just the way he can come in and contribute in his 20 to 25 minutes, it's just, it's perfect. And that's why I really wish somewhere down the line he could be like a future sixth man for us. He can just slot in at the two or something like that or just play off ball in general. Or yeah. play po- I don't care if he's playing point at that point in time. I'm just saying at that point in time, though, you you, pull, you put him back in four minutes later, three minutes later, when oh all the starters for, say, Boston have just pulled out. Then now Dilo goes in and let him cook. But he's only playing the five minutes to start. Typically, the first one off your bench is it's normally a big because bigs get tired faster. Um, not always, and the cat's always almost the last one off, except for Ant. But um, that's just part of how we have to rotate because well, we should be a little more confident with our backup bigs now. Um, but yeah, we should. Nas is playing great. Yeah, it, great. I'm like, going to give you some depressing re- news because this is in my notes. Because of how well Nas Reed played, there's no fucking way he comes back to Timberwolves after his contract's up. He's going to get paid at least $12 million to go play somewhere else because he's good. He's shooting 33% from three this year. He's getting boards, offensive rebounds too. He's, he's like, looking confident on the offensive end too. Mm-hmm. Like he, he was dunking before, but now he's slamming aggressively. Yeah. Like he's just looking to attack. Now, in order for him to get that 16 to 18 middle season, he needs to develop a couple of post moves, whether that's just a spin to get a good layup or a hook or whatever it is. But if he does that, I mean, you're literally talking about, uh, he's literally Montrez Harrell. I mean, he might even be taller. He's not a skill, but like, and I'm not saying he'll be as good, 
but that that spot exists in the league. Like, hey, you're a backup center who gets offensive rebounds and scores. Enos Cantor has made who a career out of every it. Every single thing to the table that you want in a modern center, like can shoot the three, can space, but is not afraid to attack, gets boards. Like he's he's great. Bulls foul trouble the whole game. The Bulls were in foul trouble. They were they were hacking, and that's why we won ultimately because they weren't able to play their normal rotations. That's why we won the game. I just want to touch on that. Ten consecutive double doubles for Cat in after this game. Awesome. Um, that streak did end while we're previewing these games, but that's cool. It was his fifty seventh career game with ten points, ten rebounds, and five assists minimum as well. Yeah, that's nice. Which is pretty impressive. And then that got me going down a rabbit hole of um, 30-point games, 10 rebounds, 5 assist games. Kevin Garnett has 37 of them. I'm sure you could take a wild guess in who is number one in 30-point, 10-rebound, 5-assist games. I mean, I guess LeBron, but that's it. It is, but guess how many? Oh, I, a lot. I don't 117. Know. Yeah. <laughs> just a quick sidestep, so that was just <laughs> ridiculous. Oh, yeah, yeah. So Cat coming back and playing so well, it just makes me happy, especially – with everything that he had to go through this season, um, injuries, COVID, the anniversary of his mom's death. So it's just really, really good to see. Yeah. Um, also, so that the Chicago game was the game that they did the like memorial thing for Cat's mom. Yeah. Really nice, really nice tribute and everything after the game. So the announcers kept harping on this the whole game about how good Cat and Levine are as friends right now. Like even after the trade and everything, they're still really good friends. After the game, it was actually kind of touching. So, you know, Cat and Levine embrace after the game, whatever they say, whatever they do. Then they separate, and Cat goes to talk to whoever. Levine immediately beelines it straight for Carl Sr., Cat's dad, and he gives him a big hug. Then, then Cat comes over, and he gives, you know, the, the yeah, yeah. double bro hug or some three dudes. Um, but, no, that was a, a really touching thing. You know, it just proves, I mean, these guys, there's more than just basketball to them. You know, that was, that was a big deal. Obviously, I'm sure what Levine said to Cat before game, during game, and after the game, was a lot of the same, but just for him to, you know, approach his dad and then do this, you know, give him a big hug and said whatever he said. So, it, it obviously they've met before, but it's just nice. I, I like, I like, you know, seeing the human side of people, especially like that. So. Definitely, and especially after the year we've all had, it's just nice to be able to come back and play basketball again. But it feels a little more personal this time around. I, I mean, for me, it's personally just putting a face to it. I mean, when you can show, you know, Carlton Townsend's mom who died way too early, uh, you know, it's it makes it way more personal and it makes me feel more because obviously like while I know nothing really about Carlington Towns, his personal life, him outside of basketball, I still like him. Yeah. And and you watch him every single day. So you, you just want to hope for the best for him and you just, you feel some, it's, it's that fan connection. Yeah. Like if if you have a favorite artist or something personal happens to them, you feel for them. Yeah. Um, so that's everything I had for that game. Do you have anything else that you want to add in? Um, just really quick that we played a tight discipline game the whole game. Like I think we, we took the lead in the first quarter about halfway through and we never looked back like it was off of a 21 to 8 run we took the lead and then we were just in front the whole game which is great all right so i'll let you start on this one but april 16th my mom's birthday shout out mom happy birthday she's not gonna listen to this podcast ever (laughs) um at home against the heat so i'm just gonna go with um some pluses that i have as usual nas had a nice flash over jimmy butler it was off of a little like fake show and go they did like a little uh, handoff action, but Nas was just like, nope, I'm keeping this. So then he turned and did a little sweep, a little uh, QB rollout to the, the baseline. And then he just like took two steps like backwards almost and then just cranked it back and dunked it right over Jimmy. It so was so awesome. I got to say this. 
one hundred percent that was a carry on that play, but the oh, rest yeah. couldn't see the ball, like because he like brought it forward and then brought it back and then started dribbling again. I didn't care. He got a sick dunk. It was awesome. Well, and it caught me off guard. I was just like, oh, okay, he's taking it the whole. Oh, yeah, it was awesome. That was a great play. Oh, our bench played well. We had seven players in double digits. That was another plus that I had. Efficient shots and patience were another plus. Miami plays at a really slow pace, and I think we matched that throughout the game. So it's just important when you're playing at that slower pace to make sure that you're getting the most efficient shots possible because they kind of play how the grit and grind Grizzlies team did. Like, they will just kind of wear you down defensively, and then they're fine taking forever to find their shots too. So we shot 51.9% from field goals and 41.7% from three. So that's yeah. that's great. Well, one thing to add on to that too, so we did a good job of – not falling for Jimmy Butler's bull. He always gets the ball outside the three-point line. And how many times in every... Because I've watched you know, enough Miami games where a defender comes up to guard him on the three-point line. Nope, don't do that. Stands three feet inside the three-point line. Uh, his, his head of steam is not LeBron with the head of steam. I don't care. I'm going to let him run at me because guess what? Plant your feet. He's not going around. He's trying to go through you. Mm-hmm. We didn't guard him on the three-point line for a reason. He's shooting like 20... What is, I don't remember what it is now. He... Uh, a horrible three-point percentage this season. He's never even been that great of a three-point no. shooter. He can, but like, make him prove it. Whatever it is, he, he lost that three-point shot. No, he can find it again. I know he can. Like, he's the kind of player that'll keep working at it. But like right now, I let him shoot threes. Yeah, let him shoot. I feel like that's what teams do to us sometimes too. Is they sit back, they they kind of challenge us to do that. Well, I looked up um <laughs> where we. So I saw the game and I was like, oh, we shot very very well from the field. And then I was like, well, how are we doing actually in the league in terms of field goal percentage? So I looked it up. We are 29th out of 30 teams in field goal percentage at, I think it was 44%. I mean, there's it's a pretty narrow window between the bottom and the top teams. And like, I would say part of that that really hurts us is not having D'Lo and Cat for long stretches. For sure. When, for sure. You know, they, they're two efficient scorers for the most part. Um, D'Lo isn't always efficient since he's come back right now. But I, I got to imagine he's still finding his footing a little bit. He missed how many games, you know. So to come back and expect him to be 100% right away, I don't think he's quite there. And with them out, our game plan was basically, let's chuck the ball from downtown. Yeah. <laughs> and it was not very efficient. Um, so yeah, I just I was really proud of the overall team effort that we gave. Nobody in particular went off looking at the box score, but just seeing everybody contribute is just really amazing. Mm-hmm. Two people that uh, get my shout out for players of the game, Bando and Nas Reed himself. They both had 21 rebounds combined and nine of the 10 total offensive rebounds that led to like 20 something second chance points which i think is huge against miami because you got to take everything you can get so yeah i watched a post-game press conference of this game uh, with finch and he gave big shout outs and congratulations to bando and obviously 14 rebounds is really really awesome but he i didn't watch the the bucks or the nets game um but he, he said he'd been playing really really well in those two games and that's why he got more minutes in tonight's game yeah, he just he had a really really good game. Two steals, one blocks on one block on top of the fourteen rebounds. Um, just a nice tight three for four from field goals too. Um, Wancho played pretty well too, six of ten from the field, two for six from threes. Um, but also six rebounds and two assists. So it's just nice to see him come out and contribute too, and not just give flat numbers with a bunch of minutes. Yeah. Um. Yeah. So my takeaways from this game were, we clawed back early in the second quarter to tie it. We were down by eleven, and we came back and tied it in the second quarter. Um, once again, great announcer mo- moment. Um, Ants can climb glass when Ant literally tied the game on a two-hand dunk. I mean, he, he got up there. He, he jumped real, real high. Um, so, yeah, uh, we clawed back. I mean, we did it. It was awesome. We did it mostly without Cat because he was in foul trouble. He ended up falling out of the game, um, and he broke his double-double streak in this game. 
obviously missing the previous two was uh, games he's played in. Um, but yeah, and also the Heat on defense, we didn't know how to do this in the first half or the first quarter really. Um, they were trapping Cat every time he touched the ball, double him. It didn't matter. They threw an extra guy at him, and he was a little flustered. He figured it out at the end of the game and ended up burning him, and we you know, we win. Cat fouled out. He did end up with 24-5-5. and five. Um, Yeah, okay. in the first half, we had way too many fouls in the first half, and it turned around because we didn't have a ton of fouls in the second half, and I literally noticed Wancho stepped up. He came out, and he was just kind of leading. He didn't put up crazy stats, but he put up good stats, and he played a lot at the three. It was weird. They were playing McDaniels at the four, like technically like guarding power forwards, and Wancho was on the three, and I didn't mind it. So we're doing these weird big lineups, and it's kind of cool to see. Yeah, we have a lot of tall athleticism on our bench. I don't think Wancho's necessarily athletic, but he's tall. And so it's nice to see that get mixed in. It just throws different looks at teams, too. Um, and then I got a, just a couple more little things here. Um, Butler was 9-19 from the floor for 30 points. They lost. He quit on the last possession. It was heartening to see this because I'm like, no, you know what? Remember when you hounded the, that, the, the infamous practice, when you hounded everyone, called everyone out? Yeah, how's that working for you now? You give them something to play for, they come out. And our second stringers just kicked your ass, so. And then Bam had, I don't know why he doesn't have more shots than this. He was 7 of 8 from the floor for 18 po- or 17 points. Good game. Um, but yeah, that's kind of all I have for this game now. Yep. That's all I have. So all right, next game. Just LA? Yeah. So April 18th at the Clippers. The last game that we're going to cover was Sunday, April 18th in LA. And the biggest takeaway I had from it, we got slaughtered in transition D and especially perimeter defense in general. There were so many of these highlights where a three was made because all they did was just swing it around the arc a bunch and we failed to rotate. They would just drive in and three guys would go to the paint. They'd only have two clipper players there and they kick it to the open guy who then rotation comes and he kicks it to the other open guy. And if that guy's not wide open, kick it to another guy who's going to like, and hey, it, yeah. it's just frustrating because it's like all they're doing is a paint grab where like you're just dribbling in just to get people to suck in. There's no intention of scoring. It's, it's just so you can dribble in and then kick it back out and swing. And that was just happening again and again. It's just like you need to be able to adjust. You shouldn't have to have your coach call a timeout that's like defense 101 it's as evident by looking at the box score when like Kawhi was 6 of 11 from the field so above 50 percent for 15 points um paul george 9 of 17 from the field for 23 points zubox was 5 of 7 for 13 points marcus moore senior 7 of 12 for 19 points all these guys are decent but like they're getting wide open catch and shoots outside of zubox obviously but you know he was able to take advantage of the situation he was in to be very efficient. Yeah, and it's just that was just good ball movement. We were getting beat. One guy gets beat, and the rest of the team just whatever stops playing defense and rotation. I mean, they didn't because you have to rotate. But you know, they killed us in the second quarter and the third. Like those were yeah. just disastrous. Like we beat forty-three fourth, points in the matter. second, thirty-two points in the third. We did outscore them in the fourth um, by a decent amount, but by that it time didn't it matter. didn't even matter. The game was over. Yeah. It was like a forty-point lead at one point. So unfortunately, it's kind of a depressing last game to have to cover. Cat, though, officially scored his plus 9,000 career points in his sixth season. So that's just exciting to see. Another game, too, with like a five assist minimum. Because I think his last 10 games, he's been averaging 5.6 assists, I looked this up, versus or before he uh, was injured and without only four assists per game. But it's just nice because I think that proves that the offense is starting to run through him a little bit more. I think it was the Bulls game. He had eight, eight assists. And it's mm-hmm. just, it's, I love multiple games that we covered, he had eight assists. Yeah, I love to see that. I love to see him get those 30, 10, five assist games, basically. It's it's great. Um, dude, for me, watching, I didn't watch the game. I started watching it and I admittedly fell asleep and just was like, screw it, I'm going to bed now. Um, Ant had like three or four 
um, pull up or off the dribble threes. That's that to me, and that's why when you brought up earlier about rookies getting tired, Ant's not getting tired because when you're tired, your jump shot stops. You stop being good at shooting the ball. He's getting better. I don't know why he's not tired. Whatever. The dude's just a freak. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, do dribble pull-ups and then, like, just straight up, like, a little sidestep dribble. Like, not the curry, like, little or what he does, but, like, something like that. I think he's, maybe he's just trying to do his own spin on it. But, um, yeah, dude, he's hitting pull-up threes. I like it because that just has some – shows some confidence and also the ability to make the shot. You, know, you don't want him taking it if you're missing it every time, but he's not. Um, I know he started the season doing terrible at those, and now he's – whatever he's kind of figured it out he knows where his spots are i'm hoping kind of thinking that's what it is like hot zone hunter and just and finding, yeah and just finding your rhythm just and being confident which he doesn't have any lack of confidence that's for sure but yeah he's he's great man he's so fun to watch he's gonna be something really really special in a few years like he already is but and then i've realized i kind of like d'lo probably too much because every time he shoots the shot i'm like that's not a bad shot and then you look at the, the stat line, and it's like, oh, he's 5 for 15. Yeah, maybe there also weren't good shots. But I just have so much confidence that when he shoots it, it's going in. It's because he does weird, crafty things. Like, a lot of them will be, like, Dirk fading back. Like, he puts a lot of arc on his shots sometimes. And it's just like, how, how do you practice that? How do you practice putting that much arc on a shot? Well, they, they do it. You've done the 2K drill with the contested shot, right? <laughs> the hand thing. That's yeah. literally that's the thing. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, so I just have a lot of confidence in his shot more than I should. I don't know why. I just don't care if he's shooting a lot. And then I look at the stat line. I'm like, why did he shoot it 20 times? I you coming off the bench. Thing. And then, I, well, it's funny because then I get mad. It's like, those shots should have gone to Ant. And then Ant will be like 11 for 23. Yeah. It's like, oh, maybe not. <laughs> um, actually, maybe we just need to start making more shots. In this game, the only one I wrote down because everyone had bad games except for him. Uh, Anthony Edwards, 6 of 16 for 23 points, 5 of 11 from 3. And three or four of those were dribble pull-ups or dribbling before his shot. So I like that. Um, then I got two two last points here. Number one, Ant did a pull had or pull up three attempt, and he thought he got fouled, and he was whining to the refs. And then turns around, oh, there's already a guy at the rim, and he got an easy dunk because he didn't get back in transition because he's too busy whining at the refs. Cat started this on our team, unfortunately. I mean, star players do get calls, and whining does get you some calls sometimes. But, dude, we were down by, like, 30. Why are you whining at this point in time? Just well, get the game over with. Play defense. Improve your game. Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. But also, you're down 30, so if this is your ch- one chance to get that whine in for the game, you know what I mean? Like, Yeah. No, I get it from both sides, but I just don't like seeing a ton of whining. And Cat neither, is a, Neither do I. Cat is notoriously bad, and he still continues to do it. Well, I'll see, like, here's the thing, though. He doesn't have to get beaten transition because he's in the paint a lot. You know what I mean? Like, we don't expect him to be the first one back on defense. We expect him to be the first one back, especially when you take a top-of-the-key three. You need to be the first one back because there's no one there. Yeah, that's a, that's a, a great point, too. He's the one that especially needs to be back. In that specific situation, there are, if he gets fouled in the corner or he thinks he's fouled in the corner he's whining, then that the transition defense isn't 100% on you. You still need to get back. No, but also it does fall on your teammates to not whine as well because I remember like when I would play and like when your team when you see your own teammates whining it affects you emotionally too and then so you want to do it too or like you just there's a whole emotional level to the game that everybody contributes to everybody's a part of and if you can be a leader instead then maybe that yeah, affects me Ant. i'm greg i played good basketball i played house league no one complained in house league we all sucked i played Except high school Monday. i'm not i'm not anybody special <laughs> <laughs> that's all um yeah no for me traveling basketball growing up it ended in a lot of friendship games. I don't know if you know what those are. It's the bottom of the bracket game. That's what they call it. 
Oh, there's no, first I, place I games, there's third place games, there's even fifth place games, and then there's friendship games. Yeah, I had some of those. Not that year because we were good, but I experienced some of those. Basically all we played in. Took a lot of losses. <laughs> okay, so huge tangent here. My last point, um, the Clippers, while like I sh- you know, talked about how efficient some of their players were, they still made some contested shots, specifically a couple of canard shots. Just Morris had a few weird fading contested yeah. shots too. <clears throat> and props for making them, but... If they don't go in, it doesn't affect the game at all, but maybe it looks a little better. Yeah, on on the scoreboard, that's for sure. Maybe the 40-point lead is only a 30-point lead. (laughs) And then it finishes a 10-point game (laughs) instead of a 20. We take our victories here where we can. Yeah. Um, Did you have another point? Oh, just that um, I wrote down again, Nas, more Nas uh, praise, because he's just looking a lot more comfortable on the floor now, too, and like finding his role. And a a few little things I noticed, too, were just like his spacing is getting better, like... There were times where he would look lost on the floor, and he's so slow he didn't. You can't really readjust if you need to get the fuck out of the way. But he is just spacing better, and his footwork is a little more smooth too. I know, I know he's big, stocky, sentinel type. That's what I said last time on the episode, and he still is. But the footwork is getting a little more smooth too. Um, one thing with him, whether it's just him realizing it or through the coaching, which we're gonna talk about Finch in a little bit. Um, he's he's spacing a lot better now. I would say not just a little better. He he stopped being in mid range area at all. If cats on the block, he's on the three point line and he's shooting thirty three percent from deep. So you have to guard him out there a little bit, you know, especially in the corners. Um, his spacing that's a really good point. It's it's been really good. He's just he's not in like that that sixteen foot jumper range. He's just hey take that behind the three point line. That's it. And then let Cat do work. And then if you're gonna double, that pass is so much more obvious and so much easier, which I think is part of the reason not not 100 percent it's just cat being better but part of the reason why cat's able to get more assists and also why our team is getting more assists because it's not just cat we're i i think our assist percentage has gone up this year since finch has taken over so we're just doing better i mean he's better at utilizing cat but yeah that spacing is a huge huge deal it's awesome we can jump into talking about finch's utilization of cat then and transition right there and realistically it's not just cat with this it's in, if that's the focal point because he is our focal point but it's it's finch's coaching and how it's kind of affected our team in general for me right now what i notice more is just way more stretching and um like you said way better spacing of cat of nas and just more isolation too he's actually able to get cat the touches almost every time down the floor and then you'll see immediately everyone will kind of clear out or, or weigh into one side and give him space to go to work, which is so important because there are a lot of times at the earlier or the beginning of the season where we would do that, but like you're not giving Cat any space to work and nobody's really moving off ball. And that, well, then it just everything gets stagnant right there. And then it's just watching and waiting for Cat to do something or score. And it's like you got to you got to help him, even with little things like spacing or giving him more room to work. Well, what it seems like they're doing a lot is they're going two guys. So say he's on the like left elbow. They're putting one guy in that corner on the left side. They're putting one guy above the break on that left side still, or or at the top of the, the top of the actual key, and the other two guys are on the other side, it doesn't matter where they're at. And then what they're doing is there's always a guy in both corners. So one of those guys will cut, and Cat's actually looking, he's hitting the cutters. Correct. Another thing they're doing, though, is when teams are doubling, even if they're not, they're expecting them to double, which is, that's the right approach. They're having their better shooters stand at the top of the top of the three point line or above the break on that you know wherever that. So when they double from there, it's a quick pass and that's a quick shot too. So when Deal's on the court, you see it the most. Never leave Deal open right there. I mean, other teams, please do it, I guess. But like, you got to be smarter than that if you want to do better. And in the future, if we can keep improving, that's something that I mean, it's going to be utilized a lot. Um, another thing that I would like to add, what you're saying is all very very true. Whatever we're doing, it seems like we're doing or we're more effective at running pick and roll. 
whether it's with Nas as a screener, whether it's with Cat as a screener, McDaniels, I don't really, I can't really point out any kind of pick and roll where he's actually screening a ton, um, but we're just utilizing the pick and roll a lot better. And that's a huge part of legit playoff basketball, or it's, it's a screen to get a switch, to get ISO, and that's what they're doing a lot too. They're having Cat screen. If they switch it too hard and they do a good job defending it, dump it to Cat. Yeah, it seems like our chemistry is getting a little bit better, and then we're actually just being able to start playing that chess game of like, okay, let's do pick and roll. Let's see what we can get on switches. And it's just really, really nice to see. And and the smart spacing, like you said, it's not just putting people in spots just for the sake of spacing. It's putting people where you know they're going to be able to score from, like having people in those sitting in those corners, whether it's Nas or like McDaniels. That's what they're doing a lot with him is having him sit corners too because – even if he goes one for five in a game, you know he can do a lot better than that, and he has the potential to shoot really well. So so my point, and this was weird because he's not a really great three-point shooter, but the Rio game against the Bulls, when I praised how quick he was pulling, his guy was doubling cat in those possessions a lot or shading way too hard, and then just kick it to the open man. And I mean, he was confident that game. He was pulling, and it was great to see. But that's what I'm talking about. That, and what you said, too, that's the spacing. When that when that guard go- doubles, you kick it to that guy. And then if rotation comes, you, you kick it to another guy. Exactly. And, like, Cat's, like, a generational offensive center. Like, you, you have to be able to utilize him almost every single time down the floor yeah. when he's on the court. You have to get the most out of him. And so it's just nice to see another thing is just that the ball is touching him every single time they go down the court. Mm-hmm. And it's just it's he's what we were asking for on the, on the previous yeah. two episodes, quite frankly. So Well, it's like what we, what we did when we had Kevin Gunn on our team. The, the offense runs through him, so run it through him. Don't just don't just ditch to him with like six seconds left in the shot clock and go, hey, here you go, big fella. Give it to him with 15 seconds and let maybe a play develop around him, whether it's a cut or cutting, which McDaniels has had a couple cuts from the corners, and just a couple of, more than a couple, of wide open shots in the corner. We want those to fall more often, and when they do, I mean, watch out because that's an, uh, a potent move right there for offense. Or also, low-key, swap up McDaniels for Beasley. Can they double there? They will, but they shouldn't. And that's a wide open corner three for a red hot three point shooter. Yeah. Yeah. That's basically um, that's what I have for Finch's usual utilization of cat. And it's and it's leading to us actually competing in a lot of these games. Now granted, we're still getting smoked <laughs> okay occasionally, but no cat or like even the Clippers game was bad, but everybody takes their lumps once in a while. But the important part is that you just see this constant improvement, which is all we can really hope for at the end of the season anyway. So that's kinda all I wanted to really talk about with that. Um, you stole most uh, of my points. So. <laughs> well, another another thing, um, like when I mentioned the paint grabs earlier that the Clippers do, we're starting to do a little bit more of that too with D'Lo, where we'll like kind of attack the paint. Sometimes we'll bring it back out, and then it's just it's nice to see him dribble and drive and, and get these people to collapse on him because that's another way that you can get cheap kickouts to the corners for for open looks. And if we're trying to shoot more threes, and if we're trying to adopt the modern NBA way of playing, then I feel like we're going about it the right path right now. Very very much. Um, okay, so I want to jump back a little bit here in my notes. Yep. And just, it doesn't have to be very long, because to me, it's a quick answer. But for you, how much does Anthony Edwards winning Rookie of the Year mean to you? For me, I'll, I'll even go first here. It means almost nothing. It's a nice feather in his cap, but we've seen Rookie of the Years have literal just doesn't matter about their career. Michael Carter Williams won Rookie of the Year. Jonathan Brogdon won Rookie of the Year. It doesn't mean you're going to be a superstar, so that's ultimately why I don't care. By the way, Andrew Wiggins won Rookie of the Year. I was just going to bring him up, yeah. Cat um, did too. Cat's a superstar, you know, but like you don't need to win Rookie of the Year to be a very good player, and winning Rookie of the Year doesn't mean you are going to be a good player. 
Yeah, for me, I it, it at the end of the day, when I look back too, like it doesn't mean a whole lot to me, but it's still it's cool because they're on our team and it's just something to really cheer for at the end of the year too. Like it's <laughs> like when you look at this season, it's like you can't hang your hat on much, but like hey, Ant won Rookie of the Year. He's an incredible player with an incredible future. So I just that's that's where I look at it. Like the potential isn't just there. Like he's demonstrated it, and like he's like you said, he's continued to get better. There's um, improvements all the time. His attitude is great. And hey, we've learned a lot this year about ants. They can climb glass. <laughs> so many. They can dance. They can swim. They can swim. Yeah, don't forget about that. Sounds like we're in agreement here. Um, yeah. So yeah, that's kind like of it's it's nice to see. He deserves it, but it also doesn't matter. Okay, so my next thing to go back to the Bulls game because pretty much any time you know you see a Bulls player come back, you always want to think about what if and all that kind of stuff. Um, more so than obviously missed draft picks and all that kind of good stuff. But my what if is, like, essentially, what if we would have traded Wiggins instead of Levine? Wiggins was the number one pick, you know, that the same year. They're both the same age. Actually, Levine's technically younger because he's a young dude. How much better to you right now is Levine than Wiggins? Because for me, the gap is pretty big. The gap is huge right now. Like, Zach Levine was an all-star this year. And Wiggins has just, after three years, that was his potential. Mm -hmm. And he has just plateaued since. And that's fine because Wiggins is a, a solid player. He's in a different situation being in Golden State than Zach is in Chicago. Very much so. And so, so. Like, you have to acknowledge that. But at the same time, Zach's just so much a better player. Well, part of the reason is – or part of the thing is there's a reason why he's in a different situation. He's proven he can't carry a team. He can't be an efficient leader, both of just a leader of men and a leader of your team as far as, like, statistically-wise. And we can't you can't dedicate as much of your offense to go through him because he's he's inefficient. That is something that you can see improve through time. But to me, like what Levine has done, like year three, like you said, that's where Wiggins' development seemed to stall. I'm not going to say stop because he has improved in other areas, but it seemed to stall there. Levine, year three, he was just getting started. Like that's mm-hmm. when like, he's like, hey, guess what? I can shoot now. And then it's like, hey, guess what? I can do step backs. Or like th- that was after he left. He us, started adding a lot of confidence and a lot of swagger and all those. The, the toolkit kept going up. Yep. Like just kept he, adding in a lot of moves. His first three years is almost just like, I'm athletic and fast, and I'm going to get by you. And, like, he could still shoot. Which is what Wiggins was doing, too, but Wiggins was just a little bit better at it, too. He was Wiggins had a more cracky minutes. game, yeah. I think, at that. Then, not mm-hmm. anymore. Zach, Zach was just pure explosiveness. Wiggins yeah. had some craft. Now, Levine has so much craftiness. I mean, like, he's just... Uh, my, my point here is the, the difference is pretty big, and Levine has continued to develop and get better. Now, he hasn't improved a ton on defense, but he's your leading scorer. You kind of forget that. So you don't think Levine is kind of carrying that Bulls team? I think he is. No, he for sure is. He's the oh, best I, player on the team. I, I, I misheard you then. I just went defensively. And even then, like, so we d- we did now. Like, Zach is obviously, a, like, the much better player now. And even, like, yes, it's the East, but he's dominating and he is carrying Chicago. They, they're fighting. They're going to be fighting for a playing spot, and I hope they do get that spot. I think they're just trailing Indiana right now. They're Indiana and Toronto. Their chemistry kind of went to crap after the trade, which is weird because I don't feel like they gave up anything, and they got such a good player in Vucevic. But maybe that'll just take time, or maybe it'll just be an off-season thing that they unfortunately have to work on. I, I think next season they're going to be a good team in the East. It's definitely. Um, but it, to go back really quick, even like uh, then and versus now, like even then, like Wiggins obviously won Rookie of the Year and was a better player than Zach, but like it wasn't. A whole lot like going back and looking at some of the stats going I, I went back and I looked at some highlights Zach was all uh, all, all NBA rookie 
second team or whatever too. So he had a great rookie season. Um, yeah, for sure. Um, part of the thing though is at that time, like you said, Wiggins stalled at year three. Levine didn't start till year three. Levine was a little bit more rough. Like the 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 broad stats, it's it's not going to show you the real like the real stuff because what was their efficiency ratings? You know, like was Wiggins a little bit more efficient and that kind of stuff. Um, oh, you're shaking your head. No, 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 he wasn't. He wasn't. Okay. Like I, I'll go through the stats. Yeah, do quick. it. So Levine averaged thirteen point seven points. He was 45% from the field, 38% from three. He averaged three rebounds, three assists, and one steal. He had 29 minutes in that Wait, rookie season. Real quick pause. This is the rookie season? Rookie season. We tried to run uh, Levine at point that year. Oh, Not a great experience. Okay. Yeah, because he didn't really have much of a shot then. I remember he was like just watching with my own foggy memory rolling back in my head. Like He was just kind of careless with the ball. I remember him turning over the ball a lot, which is, again, a rookie playing point guard that's going to happen. Yeah. Like, Rubio, he got injured. That's what it was. Surprising. And then he came, and then we had to put Zach at point. Well, they and wanted then, to utilize him there. They wanted to be a combo guard when they drafted him. Realistically, we should have started him off at the two for his first three years and let him really hone his skills there and then transition him essentially what Chicago did because mm-hmm. like, now he's their de facto point guard. And Yeah, like Sadoransky's out there with him, but he's always playing well, off Sadoransky, ball. I mean, they got Chris Dunn in that trade too. Don't forget the baller Chris Who? Dunn. Yeah, exactly. Drafted him in front of Jamal Murray, just so you know. Yep. And More draft woes. We should have an entire segment yeah. or an entire pod just called draft woes. Where we, we might have to. Actually, that's a good one. I know we can get other people to chime in. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, so I've watched a good amount of Tim Rolls now, like this past couple weeks, uh, especially since D'Lo's come back, it seems like. I kind of have a little bit of a – I'm not super happy about how it's working right now, but I want your opinion your take on kind of what you've seen um, how do you feel that uh, D'Lo and Anthony Edwards are meshing and playing well together? I don't think they're really meshing that well and playing well together. I mean, uh, what I was worried about at first was D'Lo taking away time and shots from Ant. I really was because um, Ant was just getting this incredibly high volume of minutes mm-hmm. and shots with D'Lo being out and then with D'Lo coming back. I was worried that it was just going to offset some things in a negative way, and it really hasn't. Like, Ant's still getting all of his shots and his looks, which I'm happy for, but... When they're not on the court together, they're playing They're playing well, both of them, in stretches, obviously. I mean, there's some downplay, but it's fine. Overall, they're both playing pretty well. When they're on the court together, though, they just don't know what to do, it seems like. And that is getting fixed slowly. I, and I think, actually, this week really proved that. They're, they're starting now to kind of find some chemistry, how to play off each other. I really, honestly, I want to see some Anthony Edwards, D'Angelo Russell pick and rolls because you're talking about two pretty quick, fast guys. I know D'Lo's not really the most athletic like point guard out there, but he's still athletic and quick enough. Mm-hmm. So I kind of want to see some of that more. Like we, I mean, we were harping on it, and you know, we spoke it into existence that Cat and Anthony Edwards pick and roll game, and then just more more pick and roll. I, I want to see it from that perspective because obviously the the skill set that Ant, Ant can bring as a screener is. Yeah, I mean, it's it's just different. And he's quick. And so if you can have somebody that's quick and explosive and athletic setting that screen, it opens up so much more options out of the pick and roll than, like, if a big man was coming up to set yeah. it. Well, unless that big man is Carl Anthony Towns. <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> Which that's is true. why we don't do it. Because and they just have such weirdly different play styles. Yeah. that uh, It's going to take time, and it's going to be awkward for that to mesh at first, but it can happen. Finch is a good coach. He'll make it happen. Yeah. And Ant wants to get better. He has a great attitude, so I'm sure it's something they talk about consistently. So Alex Rodriguez, or a ownership group headlined by Alex Rodriguez and Mark Lore, 
are attempting to purchase the Minnesota Timberwolves. They signed, I believe, the 30-day exclusive negotiation thing, which already happened once with the guy who ended up buying the majority of the Jazz. So this isn't set in stone yet. I'm hopeful. But um, with that, when this happened, a lot of people in Minnesota in general, but even even like sportscasters and stuff like that, they were instantly like, well, that means the Timberwolves are going to move. Now, I listened to the John Krasinski podcast, especially regarding this, and he brought up some very good points. And part of it is the NBA is very greedy. Would you agree with that? So the real They brought back the bubble just to get more games and more money. Like, you could have easily just ended the season. Yeah. So the relocation fee for a team that wants to move is about $500 million-ish, something around there. The The fee you have to pay to the league? Yes, which then gets distributed evenly throughout the league. The expansion fee for a team to join the league is about $2.5 billion. Now, if Minnesota, if the Minnesota Timberwolves were to move to, say, Seattle, that means they don't get an expansion team. Where could that expansion team go then? Like, literally, it's, it's Vegas, but Vegas is already slotted to get the second expansion team. So what that means here is we're probably not moving. The Timberwolves are most likely not moving. The ownership group has not said, and they don't have super strong ties anywhere else. Like, both the people have ties to New York. New York's not getting another basketball team. We all know that, right? And then everyone's like, oh, well, A-Rod, he played in Seattle, blah, blah, blah. I'm sure he has ties there. I don't think he, like, wants to move a team there, especially considering, like, the way that uh, Taylor is structuring this, this, this sale of the team is in two years. Mm-hmm. They're going to be like minority owners at first. Yeah, they're going to be minority owners. Twenty three, they'll take control of the team. Exactly. Yeah, minority owners for two years, and then the full sale will go through to their group. Now, with that, what that means to me as well is, you don't think the NBA is going to push to get that expansion team in Seattle real quick? Like that's going to be the first one. That's going to be the first domino, and then after that, there's talks of Vegas, and then there's I can't remember one. It was one place out east, but it would they not see- do both at the same time? expansion teams at the same time i think time. it depends if they can get it lined up correctly doesn't that mess up the standings just to add in one team to a conference yes it i guess it doesn't, doesn't really matter but because conferences don't even really matter cause well because as soon as they add the second team though they have to divisions do don't matter that's what i was going to say but yeah assuming they add say seattle and vegas which is seems like that's the strongest pull they have to do a conference realignment and they have to send a team over to the east which isn't a huge deal but they have to do it but also we're part Minnesota? of the east and like Dallas or Minnesota, it's not Memphis, East. but yeah, because I don't think they said New Orleans because they, they want. They said Memphis for sure. Memphis they only have to send one team. They only have to send one team. Oh, and here's the thing: it would be Memphis then. It wouldn't be us. Not necessarily. So a Chicago's super close there in the East, obviously. Milwaukee even closer there in the East. They're literally across the river from us. But outside of that, though, the NBA prides itself on having matchups to watch. If Zion in New Orleans or Ja in Memphis goes east, or you know where they start playing east, they stop playing as good of teams. So while, yes, their numbers get to be inflated, potentially, and the team looks better, they're not playing the star power. So they're not playing against LeBron James anymore. They're not playing against the Clippers anymore. No Steph Curry, Ja Morant matchups. It, it affects how they look at it. Yeah, that's true. And they would have no problem exiling us to the east. Yeah, because they don't <laughs> care. They're like, oh, so they're a bad team in the East. Yeah. When real- in reality, we go, hey, we went from the worst team in the West to, like, the fifth worst team in the East instantly without adding or doing anything, mm-hmm. without any player development. <laughs> like, I'm excited for it. Now, I'm excited. 
Having said that, logistically, it, uh, yeah, it's not all set in stone. We don't even know if it's going to be happening. Like yeah. there's talk around the league about it, but yeah, that's something exciting to look forward to alongside this ownership purchase. Well, and another thing, logistically, the Timberwolves um, road schedule. We fly the most out of any team in the league. For sure. Because we have to go all the way to California for a lot of our games. Like Denver's not that cl- It's close, but it's not no, that close. No, even in our own division, we get fucked. Because it's like, whereas, oh, yeah, we're close to Portland. Oh, yeah, we're close to Denver. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Whereas with Memphis, they're closer to New Orleans. They're closer to Texas, and there's two teams in Texas. So their flight schedule or their travel times, it's, it's different. It's a little bit more convenient, if you will, for them to stay in the West. Now, it still makes sense for them to go to the East, and that could still very well happen if the realignment happens like this, you know, because mm-hmm. there's no guarantee Vegas gets a team as much as they probably should have one based off of population and, you know, what kind of impact that can have on, you know, the economy of the league. But at the same time, they I don't think the NBA is like this, but they might be hesitant to put a team there because of gambling, and it seems like you hear more about NBA players going broke than every, than every other sport combined. Yeah. That might be unfair. But it just seems like you hear it more. And if you're introducing gambling more into it, it, yeah. So Where else do you think they go with a second expansion team? Like Seattle for sure, but like Kansas City maybe? Yeah, um, Kansas City is one of the spots I've heard when I kind of looked into it. And it was like like Virginia Beach, but that's too close to Charlotte. And potentially adding one in like Alabama, I think. I can't remember where they said, but it was was a southern state that doesn't have a team right now, Um, which could all make sense. And if they do that, then there's Mm -hmm. no realignment. Everything kind of works out the way it is. Yep. Or they could realign and do different stuff. I don't know how they would do it. Yeah, in terms of A-Rod purchasing the team, I'm super excited about that. Just for, like, the aesthetic stuff that happens, like, potential of, like, New Jersey's. Hopefully, uh, the Target Center getting a full renovation. That nope. It's, it, nope. No? Don't want that new stadium, no? please. Well, yeah. <laughs> new stadium, for sure. That would be the ultimate end goal. <laughs> but if Target Center just gets a complete actual facelift, I'm cool with that, too. Yeah. Um, Or just Target Center 2.0. Like, keep it the Target Center. I like I like having Target no, Field and Target because selling the naming rights is a huge deal. It's a lot of money. That's why the Target Field is Target Field. They sold the naming rights. U.S. Bank Stadium is U.S. Bank Stadium because they sold the naming Just rights. Just don't give us something stupid like Smoothie King Center. Yeah, please or don't do that. Little Caesars Arena. I'd want good brand Yeah, names. but a lot of that's regionally based. So I know. Little why, Caesars why is in Target. Detroit, right? Target for Yeah. Yeah, because they're from Detroit. So Target from Minnesota. Um, TCF is from Minnesota. U.S. Bank is not, from, to my knowledge. But they might be. I don't know. Do um, some with 3M. Yeah, maybe. I mean, I don't know how much they care to get into that, but I, I would like it. I wouldn't care. Mm-hmm. The 3M arena or whatever the heck they want to call it. So That's, that's, that's kind of stuff I'm excited about. And then, obviously, the stuff that affects the team, too, with more actual money being put back into the team and wanting well, to purchase like the team. 40 or 41, and he's a billionaire. He's a smart individual, obviously. Business savvy smart anyways. So I'm hoping he... Now, I don't know if Rosas is the answer. I hope he is. It seems like he has a vision for the team and an idea of how to get there. Um, ideally, what you need is billionaires who put their faith in the right people. Mm-hmm. Because, like, uh, Mark Cuban, he's not the GM. He has input, but he's not the GM. He lets the GM and coach do their job. That's what we need. We don't need an owner that steps in and makes a mess of everything. We need an owner who goes, I want to invest in the team. Now, obviously, this is potentially years down the road, but we're in the we're in the salary cap or over the salary cap. I don't care. We'll take exactly, the Peter exactly. tax because You're putting we that money back win. into the team. Yeah, yeah. And going all out. You know, like in the, in the KG book, it talks about Mark Cuban like doing the um, 
the hyperbolic chambers and well, with the and, the and hiring team chefs, which I'm sure every team does now. But just yeah. like uh, those are the little things I want to see and hear about too. Is just like actual investment in with the, the TCO Performance Center, whatever it's called, the, the new Timberwolves practice facility. Mm-hmm. That's supposed to be amazing, though. Yeah, that's a really yeah. good investment. So that that was props to Taylor for you know, mm-hmm. getting that in the works. But um, so maybe that's not even something that maybe maybe you could do small upgrades to that, like. For example, what the uh, t- Twins did to lure uh, Nelson Cruz over. Do you know who Nelson Cruz is? Yes. Yeah. What did they do to lure him over? So in his, like, so, like, everyone interviews or whatever, he literally goes, do you guys have a nap room? And they're like, uh, no, but we could make one. So they made him a nap room. And because he has a very strict schedule where he, he naps at the same time every single day. So if there's a noon game, he's napping from, what, like, 10 to 11 or whatever it is. I don't know. I don't actually know what it is. But... He naps the same time every single day. So in his home arena, he wants a freaking nap room. And that's what you do because, I mean, A, they paid him money. Not a ton of money, but they paid him money. And then they're like, nap room. Got it. Because we care about you and you getting naps before the game is clearly an investment that you do yourself. So let's invest in your investment. And I want to say I've heard like two or three other players adopted it. And... They, they love it now. It's part of their routine. I so. took a nap before you came over and we did this pod. I feel great. Like, everybody <laughs> should have a nap throughout their day. <laughs> Mima came from work and I'm hating my life a little bit. <laughs> um, listeners, let's pool together some money to get Cheeto a, a nap room. It's just a bedroom at that point. In time. <laughs> <laughs> just wanted to get this pod, you know, recorded before 7 p.m., mm-hmm. ideally. Mm-hmm. Um Okay, so yeah, that's kind of, or no, I guess there was one other thing. A lot of people are saying um, A-Rod might bring some, you know, some flashiness to get people to want to come and, you know, free agents to come. I'm not sure how much effect that's going to happen. Just because of the fact that you heard about what happened with, with Ant. Didn't even know who he was. Yeah, <laughs> which I don't blame him. I mean, yeah. he literally, Rodriguez played from like 94, 96 or something like that to like 2015, something like that. And, or maybe it was even 14. And Ant was born in what year? I don't remember, but he's 19 or 20 2002? Right yeah. So you've grown up halfway through a man's career. You, and if baseball's not your thing, like, yeah. No, having said me. that, though. It was funny, though. It was yeah, funny. Having said that, though, professional athletes do bring their own kind of cachet. They definitely can lend some prestige to your club. But my my in what I envisioned there is maybe A-Rod has a couple friends in the basketball world, and you can bring them around, whoever that might be. I don't know. Um, famous people tend to know each other, so they can get people to come in and, hey, maybe maybe we get a couple of guest visits from whoever. And maybe they bring KD on as a minority owner as well, even if it's just 1%. Yeah, I don't care. Yeah. I want that man part of my organization because he is our organization. I think that'll happen. There's no I I, so. Like, just knowing KG, I think when, once that official, like, takeover happens, I yeah. could see him coming back and contributing. I don't know Joe, how, but I'd like to see it. Joe brought up a good point yesterday or today or maybe the day before, whatever. I don't know. Um, he said, when are we going to retire KG's number? And uh, I told him, it's as soon as Taylor sells the team because KG's pissed at Taylor. And he doesn't really want to be a part of anything right now because of the way that that whole situation has been handled. So mm-hmm. ultimately, just bring him back in, even if he do, he's not a minority owner because he wants to be a majority owner. Retire his number. I mean, he's a huge part of our organization. I want that to happen. All right, well. That's, that's all I got. You got anything else you want to add? Nope. That's all um, I got. I heard some rumblings, actually, to call back to end of last pod about some merch. Um, if you guys can give us specifics on what you would kind of like, if we can get kind of everyone's like, oh, hey, I, I would, I, I'd wear a hat with your logo on it. You know, let us know. Maybe that's something where we uh, invest in, buy some hats, put our logo on it. Yep. And before we started recording, too, Tyler talked about just logo variants, too, where we maybe 
talk about or create a different logo so we can have more variety in the merch too um so if you guys have any ideas on designs you would like to have for um merch too let us know yeah let us know because greg created the logo we have when i go hey greg you should make a logo that's the timberwolves but it looks like the wild logo and he came up with that so i was like i'm on it i got you got us um but yeah i i like drawing i like creating new things so if you guys got any feedback on what you'd like it just makes the merch that much more personable and it just makes it feel like this is a little community that we're all rocking some nice swag for so i think that's all i got well that's all i got until next time stay classy santiago straight out of minnesota peace